Welcome back, or if it's your first time here, then thank you for joining us. This is the Doula's Guide to dot 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 with me, Meg, also known as the Dungaree Doula. It's a podcast where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth, and parenting. My aim is to share unbiased information alongside a bit of friendly chit chat to ensure that you head into parenthood feeling confident and excited for what's to come. If you're new to the podcast and would like to know more about me, then go and check out episode one all that way ago from a little introduction and a big chat on hypnobirthing, and then the following episodes for some great birth and parenting preparation. And if you love the podcast, you can now leave me a little tip to say thank you via buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. A huge thank you in advance if you do this. This episode, I'm going to be talking about preparing to breastfeed. So this is for anyone currently pregnant, or maybe if you're in those super early days of still figuring it all out, then it might be helpful too. I'm going to talk a little about how breastfeeding works. We'll talk about normal newborn behaviour and what to expect. Please note that this will be a whistle-stop tour of the aforementioned, and there's only so much that I can fit into one podcast episode, but I will leave further resources in the show notes too, so please go and check those out after you've listened. Before we get into it, I will just apologise because I am somehow ill in the middle of May, the middle of spring, doesn't make sense, but I've got a cold, so apologies if my voice being super nasally is annoying. <laughs> Let's get right into it then. Enjoy. should we prepare to breastfeed people are always saying it's natural it's easy it'll just come to you but actually it's worth preparing so in the uk we have some of the lowest breastfeeding rates in the world um so eight out of ten people who stop breastfeeding in the uk say that they did so despite wanting to continue so breastfeeding at birth initiation is 81%. So 81% of people who give birth do initiate breastfeeding or at least do that first feed. But to be exclusively breastfeeding at six weeks, there's only 24% people left doing it at six weeks. And then exclusively breastfeeding at six months, there's only 1%, which completely blows my mind. I'm not in a judgment way, but in a way that eight out of 10 of those people wanted to still be breastfeeding, but only 1% of people are still breastfeeding exclusively at six months and that doesn't mean that you know because people are weaning onto food that doesn't negate from exclusively breastfeeding it just means what type of milk these um, babies are getting so they're only getting only one percent of them are exclusively getting breast milk the rest are getting formula and so why do people stop so people stop because it's painful and it shouldn't be painful we'll come on to that in a bit people stop because of lack of support people stop because there's so many myths and misinformation about there and people stop because of societal views and judgments so maybe from family members from friends from um not wanting to be seen in public doing it so there's so many reasons why people stop but yeah most people don't want to so why should we breastfeed well we shouldn't, it's completely up to you. But if you want to, then there are some benefits to it. So there's benefits for parent and there's benefits for baby. So for parent, it can help recover quicker after birth because of the hormones that are associated with breastfeeding. They can actually help our uterus to contract and go back down to its normal size and to help with bleeding. So it can support a quicker recovery after birth. It reduces your risk of type 2 diabetes, it lowers the risk of ovarian and breast cancer, and it can lower the risk of postpartum depression. And again, that's to do with the hormones that are involved with creating breast milk it's healthy for baby it contains proteins fats vitamins minerals and antibodies um amongst other things it's it's a live substance it's responsive to your baby's needs so 
whatever your baby needs, your breast milk physically changes to accommodate that. So if your baby is of a poorly, if they ever have say they've got a cold like I have now, when you're feeding, then your breast milk changes and it creates more antibodies to negate whatever your baby is poorly with. So it's it's incredible. It's it's basically like free medicine. <laughs> it lowers the risk of ear and respiratory and gastrointestinal infections and it lowers the risk of childhood asthma and allergies, amongst other stuff. These are just a few um, that I've picked up, but there's so many other things. And then also just for ease... Um, so <laughs> this was what sold me on breastfeeding, um, is that you can do it anywhere. You don't have to worry about packing bottles or warming them up or anything like that. It's free. So you don't have to spend money on formula, which is so expensive. I mean, that's a topic for another time because it should not be as expensive as it is, um, at all because a lot of people don't want to breastfeed or can't breastfeed but that's another rant <laughs> it promotes bonding with your baby because you're constantly doing skin to skin and it's better for the environment because you're not going through bottles and formula packets and things like that but yeah it's totally your choice whether you want to breastfeed or not but if you do want to then hopefully this episode will help so how does it work so there is a protein in breast milk called fill basically feedback inhibitor of lactation and this stimulates you to constantly be producing milk so what happens is that in this sort of constant cycle that is ongoing is that your baby feeds this oxytocin that is produced which is a hormone it's a hormone that's really important in birth you might have heard people talk about it in birth it stimulates the uterus to contract but when your baby feeds your baby stimulates oxytocin to be created in your body this hormone this oxytocin makes your muscle contract which stimulates what's called a letdown as your muscle in your breast contracts this triggers your alveoli to release milk this creates prolactin, which is another hormone, also known as the mothering hormone, which triggers milk to be made. Then the alveoli stretch and fill, and then your baby feeds again, and it just keeps on going. So as your baby feeds, all of these hormones create this milk, the alveoli stretch and fill. So as the milk is coming out and feeding your baby, it's constantly being refilled. And that's why a lot of people will say oh I didn't think I had enough milk or I wasn't producing enough but that's a very 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 rare problem because our breasts are constantly making it the more they're being used the more they're feeding so if you feed more you create more milk once your baby has fed there will still be milk left your breasts never empty fully and you don't have to wait a certain amount of time for them to fill back up because it's constantly happening however if you do feed less you create less milk. It's really as simple as supply and demand. So this is why it's not recommended anymore to space out feeding and instead just to feed on demand. So you might have heard sort of when our generation was younger and even before that, that um, midwives would recommend that you fed your baby every four hours and you didn't feed them in between, where even if they were crying, starving, hungry, which a lot of the time they can be, again, we'll talk about that soon, they would say, no, you want to get them on a strict schedule, but we really do not recommend feeding on a strict schedule because babies feed when they're hungry and it's not going to impact your supply unless you do restrict them, in which case it can, because you're not going to be creating enough milk because you're not stimulating this um, this endless cycle, this loop. So that's why it's important. Um, there's some things that it's really helpful to understand about normal newborn behaviour 
that can make this a lot more easy to bear basically because some people think I don't want to be feeding on demand if I knew that I could feed every four hours that would make my life easier I didn't want to have to be constantly feeding but actually it's really really normal um babies wake often babies feed often and babies cannot self-soothe so babies wake often to reduce the risk of SIDS it physically protects them um they also wake often to feed because prolactin the hormone that we just spoke about is higher at night so night feeding can increase your supply and it makes the um milk richer for your baby because this prolactin is higher so night feeding is really important and also because they're still learning a circadian rhythm so a circadian rhythm is the sort of rhythm of the day so how we know that it's day or night babies don't have this because they've been in a womb for nine months so they're learning a circadian rhythm so they're waking often in the night until they get into this Babies feed often, again, to increase your supply because you're still bringing that milk in when you first start feeding. So they're increasing your supply by constantly feeding to ensure that you do have enough milk and that it can still keep going and going and going. They feed often because it's healthier for them. Um, It helps you to avoid mastitis, which is really important because they're constantly draining the milk. And they can feed for different reasons. They don't always feed because they're hungry. Newborns are generally feeding because they're always hungry. But they can feed for other reasons. They can feed um, for comfort. They can feed for closeness, for connection. They can feed because they're hair or because they've got a pain or something like that. They can't express that to you, but they feed and they get comfort from it. And that's what settles them. And babies cannot self-soothe either. And uh, this is really important to know because people think that, well, I don't need to feed them to sleep. I shouldn't be feeding them to sleep. I should be able to just put them down. That stupid phrase, like, yeah, drowsy but awake, which barely works for anybody. It does work for some. And if it worked for you, then I clap my hands to you because you are one of the lucky ones. But for most of us, (laughs) drowsy but awake is not a thing because babies cannot self-soothe. They need you to respond to them um, and they need you to be able to get them to sleep in a place where they feel safe which is generally on the breast or being rocked in skin to skin and this is not a bad thing because research shows that responsibly parented children become more independent become more independent as they grow up because if you think about it if you have a child that is constantly having their needs met then they know that they they know that they're safe. They know that you'll always respond to them. So they're more likely to take risks and to be independent because they know that whatever happens, whatever the outcome, you will be there for them. You are their safe space. And this makes sense even more so when we think about the womb to world transition. So think about the differences in your baby's life between when they're in the womb and when they're out of the womb, when they're born. Of course they want to be held all of the time, of course they want to be fed, of course they want to be soothed. When they're in the womb, they're constantly warm, they're constantly being rocked, they're constantly being fed by the amniotic fluid, they're connected to the placenta which gives them, which makes them full of nutrients, it's always dark, all of the sounds are really muffled and then they come out into the world and there's bright lights and they're being passed around and there's different smells and they're feeling hunger for the first time and they're getting a, a wet nappy, a pooey nappy. So this is all incredibly shocking for the baby and all they've ever known is you and your smell and the sound of your heartbeat. So all they ever want is to be held and to be fed, and to be soothed, that's completely normal. We're kind of signing up for giving our babies that when we decide to get pregnant, because we're taking them out of the womb, and bringing them into this world that 
it's quite scary at first. I'm not saying that you're terrifying your baby or anything like that, but it is quite overwhelming for small babies to feel this way. <laughs> so it's just something to bear in mind. If we can think about that womb to well transition, it can make those days of endless feeding a lot more bearable. So feeding frequency. So like I said at the beginning, we recommend feeding on demand, always feed on demand. You might sometimes hear people say, well, we expect sort of eight to 12 feeds in a day. So eight to 12 feeds in 24 hours. That's not eight to 12 feeds in just the awake part of the day. That's in the whole thing. But actually, that's probably, especially for a newborn, the minimum eight to 12 times in 24 hours. So it's every few hours. But sometimes you will have a baby who wants to be on that boob every hour. Or maybe in the daytime, it'll be every few hours, but in the night, it's every hour. Because like we said, prolactin's higher, they're increasing that supply, they don't have a circadian rhythm. Breast milk also digests really, really quickly, and baby's stomachs are really, really small. So at first, your baby's stomach is the size of a marble. It's absolutely tiny, so it's going to fill and be digested really quickly, completely normal. Um, they've never experienced hunger before, so they want to feed a lot. And they're learning a new skill too. So we're preparing to breastfeed now in this way. Babies are not doing that. Babies are in the womb, just living their best lives, getting constantly fed. <laughs> so they're learning a new feed, uh, a new skill too. They've got to learn to feed. They've got to learn to suckle. They've got to learn to extract the breast milk from the breast. So they're learning a new skill as well. So it's good for them to constant, not constantly be on the boob, obviously, but to be on the breast fairly often until they get into that routine where they know, actually, anytime I'm hungry, I know my mum will feed me. That's fine. Um, and they're also, like we said, increasing and regulating your supply. So feeding cues. So especially for a newborn, a feeding cue is genuinely being awake. As soon as babies wake up, newborn babies, this is within the first couple of weeks, we expect that they're probably going to want feeding. Mostly what babies do when they're first born is feed and sleep that's kind of it um they're a little bit boring really <laughs> so they're born and they will sleep a lot they'll wake up when they're hungry they'll have a feed and then they maybe have a tiny bit of time when they're awake and then they go back to sleep and that's about it so a feeding cue at first is genuinely just being awake I would always just offer it to sort of negate getting to the sort of later feeding cues so being awake Another sign, though, is putting their hands to their mouth. Um, this is an always, always a sign, especially in later babies, because sometimes this can be for other things. This can be for comfort. This can be um, if they're teething or anything like that. But at first, if babies are putting their hands to their mouth, it's definitely a feeding cue. And then if they start rooting, so it's hard to um, explain what this is without being able to show you, but rooting is when they're kind of turning their head quite rapidly and they're almost looking for the breast, because that is what they're doing. They are looking for it. But if they're sort of on the floor or they're with somebody else, they'll start turning their head um, and trying to find somewhere that they can feed from and then obviously crying is a sign as well but crying is a really late sign and we want to try and preempt crying because this can make latching harder because obviously if your baby is screaming crying is going to be harder for them to latch onto the breast so we want to not get to that point we want to feed them when they're awake feed them if they're putting their hands to their mouth and then try and not get to that point you might have heard of cluster feeding Cluster feeding doesn't necessarily happen within the first couple of weeks. It tends to be after that. So after your first couple of weeks, you get into, you might be thinking, oh, we're getting into a routine now, we're getting there. And then you get hit with cluster feeding and you're like, oh, great, good times. <laughs> so cluster feeding is when your baby wants to feed kind of all of the time, basically, is what it feels like. It is what it feels like. Um, 
that doesn't mean that it's like 24 hours straight of feeding. It generally happens over a period of the day. So it's really common to happen in the late afternoons to evening. In my experience, that was when it happened to us. It would be around um, our tea time, dinner time, into the evening. That was when we would get cluster feeding. Sometimes it is just constant. It is your baby will be on the breast for... Um, a couple of hours straight sometimes it's lots of short feeds one after the other so maybe they'll be on for five minutes come off go on for another five minutes come off stuff like that um it is more common to only happen in the first few months a lot of the time um it's not it's not a constant thing so if you do get to cluster feeding it doesn't mean that you're always going to feed like this it generally it'll come in waves so you might cluster you might have like every evening for a couple of weeks you get cluster feeding and then it goes away and it never returns or then it goes away for a few months and later on if your baby's going through a growth spare or they're getting a lot of teeth at once or they've had a massive change in their life it might come back um but yeah generally in the first few months it will happen and a lot of people don't experience it again um it sounds pretty brutal and I think if you're not prepared for it it can feel like that as well but if you're prepared for it it's fine the best thing you can do is just be ready for it so if you have an evening like this and you think this has never happened before this is weird is everything okay and then your brain goes ah maybe we've hit cluster feeding it's a lot more easier to bear and just make sure that you're prepared for it. So get things that you love doing and get them nearby. Maybe you have something you want to binge watch every evening. Maybe you have people, um, you pre-prepare all of your meals or you have your partner making all of your meals in the evening. You have loads of snacks around, loads of water around. You've got an extra long phone charger so that you can use your phone. You've got books to read nearby. You've got a Kindle. You've got some people are excellent at being able to craft while they're feeding so if you've got a breastfeeding pillar put your baby on your breastfeeding pillar sit and crochet or something like that but just preempt it and uh, try not to get too sort of worked up about it and, and definitely don't feel like there's a problem if your baby's cluster feeding it doesn't mean that you've got a low supply it doesn't mean that they're not getting enough it is just a really common thing that happens it doesn't mean that your baby's really hungry um we're not sure why it happens um we don't know a hundred percent but just know that it is completely normal there's a lot of theories around it that it could be to do with boosting supply or it could be doing it could be to do with your baby having a big growth spare because of when it generally happens um obviously they need to take in more milk to help and then sometimes what you'll see if it is because of a growth spare is that you'll go through cluster feeding and then it'll ease and your baby will have learned a new skill so maybe they've learned to roll over maybe they're more alert maybe they've got some new teeth or something like that and you think ah that makes sense that's what it was for <laughs> um so knowing if baby is getting enough is a big worry people are generally like worried because we don't we can't measure it so when you're bottle feeding you can see how many meals your baby is getting and so you do know you can quantify that they're getting enough with breastfeeding we don't know that we're just assuming that our baby is getting enough so I'll tell you some signs now of what's normal and what's not what what's not normal but generally babies are getting enough they're feeding when they want to be fed. If you're responsively feeding and your baby is going to the boob and getting fed when they're showing signs that they want it, then they're getting enough. So what's normal is 
a bit of weight loss at first. So when your baby's born, within the first three to four days, they generally will lose about five to seven percent of their weight, and that is completely normal. And um, they start to put this on after. Um, but yeah, don't be alarmed if that happens. It's completely normal. We think that it's just to do with the fact that when babies are born, they've probably got a bit of water weight from being in the fluid, from um, having sort of that extra water in their body to protect their bones on their body when they're descending from the birth canal and just adjusting to breastfeeding rather than being fed on demand so completely normal um normal as well as if your baby wants feeding whenever they're awake if they're waking often in the night um and then thinking about when they're pooing so if they have one poo on day one two poos on day two three poos on day three and then it might start to level out from that point if your baby goes more than a week without pooing that's not normal at first so further down the line sort of from six weeks onwards breastfed babies actually can go for a week without pooing and that's because breast milk is so nutrient dense that it just gets constantly absorbed so all of the nutrients are going into the baby's body so there's actually no waste product so that's quite a um a nice little benefit that some people (laughs) some people benefit from not all babies um but it is normal further down the line but at first if your baby goes more than a week without pooing that's not normal um, if your baby loses 9% or more of their weight within the first four days, that's not normal. But it doesn't necessarily mean that your baby's not getting enough breast milk. It could be just that they had a lot of water weight. It could be that actually they were weighed wrong. So if you'd have waited a little bit longer after birth, it, it would have... Um, sort of balanced out with their weight but it's just something to keep an eye on so it doesn't mean oh if they lose nine percent of weight i've got to stop breastfeeding it just maybe means that we need to breastfeed even more response responsively (laughs) or that we just need to keep an eye on it what's not normal is if your baby is literally constantly attached so i know i've said that like babies feed a lot they do they want to feed what feels like all the time but if they are constantly attached as in you cannot take them off because they cry and if it's really painful when you're trying to feed them and they literally will not be like off the boob I'm not saying they won't be put down because yeah babies don't want to be put down but they don't need to be on the boob 24 7 if they are and especially if they are and you're feeling pain that could be a sign that there's a problem with the latch and that your milk transfer isn't optimal so it's just worth bearing in mind. So how do we do it? So the main things that you want to think about are latch and positioning. So latch is the way that your baby's mouth latches onto the breast. So I can tell you this, but it's a lot more easier for you to actually see it. So like I said, I'll put some resources into the show notes. But when we're thinking about our latch, it's a lot easier for babies to be able to get a really deep latch if their chin is touching your breast. If the baby's mouth opens really wide around the breast, not just the nipple. I think a lot of people think of, you know, like milking a cow and it's just like the tea. It's not. The baby's um, mouth wants to be around your breast, their lips turn out and you want to be able to hear or see the swallowing. So what we mean by this is when you look down at your baby, you can see it within their chin. They generally have little chubby um, double chins and you can see them moving or you can see their ears slightly moving as they're gulping in. And generally it goes in like a rhythm, it goes in a rhythmic motion. So um, they'll suckle quite fast at first to stimulate the milk flow. And then once it starts coming out, once they've triggered that letdown, it'll be more rhythmic. It'll be a little bit slower. So you want to watch out for that. 
there's some things that we can do with positioning um, that can help them to get an even better latch. So if you have their chest and their stomach against your body, that's really helpful. Sometimes people sort of hold them um, on their backs or anything like that, but you want their chest and their stomach against your chest or your stomach basically and we talk about the rule of one so the rule of one means that you can only see one of their ears one of their eyes one of their arms because obviously if you can think about your baby being on their side with their chest and stomach against your body you're not going to see the underneath of their body you're only going to see one eye one ear one arm you want to line up their nose um to your nipple just about kind of have it aimed as if your nipple is going up their nose and that this is at the beginning of when you're putting them to your breast line up your sort of um their nose going your nipple going up their nose and the reason why we do this is because for babies to get a good latch they need to be able to have free movement of their head they need to be able to move their head backwards open their mouth really wide and then come on and position themselves in the right way um so i'll pop a really good video of this underneath for you to understand more what i'm saying because it's really hard for you to imagine it while i'm just talking i understand that but most importantly is your chest and stomach straight against your body and complete free movement of their head so do not put your hand behind their head and this is sometimes where breastfeeding support can fail in hospitals because a lot of midwives don't have up-to-date training on um helping with breastfeeding so they're sort of taught in an old-fashioned way which is where they will literally just hold baby's head and try and sort of kind of ram your baby onto your breast which is not helpful because you're not giving baby that free movement they've not got free movement of their head to be able to get themselves a good latch they're just they're holding their head for them and it's it's preventing them getting a good latch so it can actually sort of do more damage um than it can help and then pain it really shouldn't be painful um it may be sore at first so when you very first start doing it it might be slightly sore because you've never done this before you've never had a baby suckling at your breast for ages unless you're breastfeeding two or like your second or your third or your fourth but if you are and there's been a big gap in between breastfeeding or maybe you've never breastfed before then again it will probably feel a little bit sore when they latch but really you should only feel that pain for like five to ten seconds and then it should ease as your baby starts suckling so if it is sore then you can use like lanolin or you can use like a nipple rub or something like that you can put it on just make sure it's one that's safe for your baby um to be able to take so there's a lansana do one um i like the waleda one I think that's how you say it. I love Willard products. Um, they're really good. So um, I can link those in the show notes as well. Not like a affiliate or anything. I'll just link them for you to have a look at. It can be really handy to get them and also to just protect your nipples as they're getting used to feeding. But that pain should be it. So maybe for the first few weeks, it's a tiny bit sore for five to ten seconds at the beginning of a feed and then that pain should completely ease if you have if you are having any pain and um, it does need to be investigated if it's lasting longer than this even if you're told that the latch looks fine and um, it's definitely worth investigating because it shouldn't be painful and like we said at the beginning that's one of the main reasons why people stop so get it investigated talk to uh breastfeeding peer support group talk to uh, ibclc talk to a midwife if you know that they've got good training in it um and get them to check mastitis or blocked ducts they can obviously really hurt um but they're more obvious because if you have a blocked duct you can feel it it'll feel like you've got a rock 
in your breast, which is horrible. <laughs> if you've got mastitis, again, similar, but mastitis is an actual infection. Um, so this can sort of have, it can be bright red. Um, it'll be super painful and sore. You can have a fever. You can have like flu symptoms. So if you have any signs of infection, call up the doctor straight away because with mastitis, a lot of the time people do need um, antibiotics. But if it's just a blocked duct or if it's not there's no signs of infection you can resolve this with sort of hand expressing um or using different products like silver shields or cabbage which i know is really random but cabbage leaves and um, from the fridge if you put those on it can help resolve it as well um but yeah if it's pain and you can't tell what it's from not from a blocked duct not from mastitis then definitely get it investigated if you're feeling pain as a one-off maybe your baby's just got like a funky latch this time maybe they've gone on at a funny angle um so just unlatch them at the first sight of pain um and try a different position or just let them try and get back on again if this hasn't worked and it does carry on then do get qualified support because there could be a reason for it it could be that there's a tongue tie issue it could be that they're not latching properly or something like that so definitely yeah get help and then who can help so i'm gonna round it off very shortly like I said this is just a whistle stop tour but I will leave some really great references down below but who can help so you can get free support from a midwife but like I said it's best to check that they have up to date um breastfeeding training absolutely no shade to midwives but midwives are so busy and so understaffed and underpaid that a lot of them do not simply have the time to get this extra training in there um so yeah make sure that you go to a midwife who has got adequate breastfeeding support and um, if not go to breastfeeding peer supporters so most places have the most communities have a um like a community of breastfeeding peer supporters basically and sometimes they will run groups um sometimes they will be on the hospital so a lot of the time the person here towards in hospitals will have visits from breastfeeding peer supporters too you can also call up the National Breastfeeding Support Line. I will put that in the show notes as well. And that's a really great resource, 24-7 support. You can call up, talk to somebody who's got um, a really high level of training in breastfeeding and they'll be able to advise you or um, sort of tell you where to go for, the, for whatever you need. You can also get paid support. So an IBCLC is sort of the top, the gold tier of breastfeeding support it stands for the international board of certified lactation consultants and these are like the creme de la creme of breastfeeding support they have to do so much training it is insane they have to do years worth of stuff and hit so many hours of um, training do exams and things like that so you can pay for a, a meeting with them they'll come to your house and they will like yeah they'll really help <laughs> you can also go to some doulas some breastfeeding counselors so obviously certain doulas have um the same thing they're breastfeeding peer spotters too so if you've already got a doula that has this that can be really helpful if any issues do crop up and then look for your community so sometimes children's centers will run breastfeeding groups and sometimes breastfeeding peer supporters will run groups and drop-ins again a lot of the times these are free and a lot of the times you can go to these while you're pregnant as well to get support so you can go and say i'm wanting to breastfeed i was just wondering if you had any top tips for me i'm wanting to make some connections make some friends and then carry on going once your baby is there and get yourself a really nice little community support um and yeah, that is most of the things that I wanted to say. I'm just going to give you like a little breastfeeding timeline and then I'll tell you some um, great further resources that you can go away and look at if you're wanting to breastfeed. So around 16 weeks of pregnancy, your colostrum comes in. So your colostrum is the very first milk that we have and it's referred to as liquid gold because it is just 
insane how nutrient dense um, colostrum is. It's incredible. So that comes in from 16 weeks. And sometimes people colostrum harvest, um, which is where you um, hand express into a syringe, keep it in the freezer, and then you can use it once your baby's here. That is a topic for a whole other episode, but I do have a really good reel on it on my Instagram. So I'll pop that in the show notes if you do want to know more about colostrum harvesting. When your baby is born, if you're wanting to breastfeed, you want to try and initiate breastfeeding within that golden hour. So that first hour after birth, try and initiate breastfeeding within this hour. Around three to five days postpartum, our milk changes. So it goes from being colostrum to being just regular breast milk, the breast milk that we sort of assume is going to happen is is what we're going to feed our baby. So it completely changes. It goes from being this really thick, yellow, golden colostrum to being the sort of whiter, milk that we uh, we assume breast milk is around two to four weeks postpartum you might be in a schedule you probably might be in like a routine yeah I think that babies just don't follow routines it's just it's pointless even trying at this point but you might be in a schedule where you think right I kind of I know when they're going to feed now in the night it's going to be every two hours and that's okay but then six weeks postpartum, you cluster feed. <laughs> and you, it all just goes out of the window because cluster feeding comes in. But like I said, that only lasts a few weeks and then you end up getting back into that schedule and that is absolutely fine. And things just start to ease up. Things start to get a little bit easier from sort of six weeks onwards after this initial cluster feeding um, time. And then eventually you do get into a routine and it just becomes so much easier and baby's feeds will be a lot more predictable and obviously things can crop up like illness or if you're choosing to vaccinate vaccinations developmental leaps teething things like that all of those things can have an effect on this sort of schedule or this routine but it does get so much easier those early days especially if you don't prepare can feel really brutal and really never ending if you're constantly stuck to a baby feeding and you're like I didn't expect this I thought I would be a mum and I would be a fun mum and I'd be going out and I'd be going to baby groups and I'd be in coffee shops with my friends and stuff and actually you just feel like you're feeding all of the time it can feel hard but preparing for that is so much easier and when you feel ready it is great to get out and about breastfeeding in public doesn't have to be scary if you are worried you can get breastfeeding covers and things like that if you're not just do it it is your legal right to feed your baby wherever they want to be fed I fed my babies everywhere. I fed them on trains. I fed them on buses. I fed them in the park. I fed them at concerts. Like, (laughs) I fed them everywhere. Um, Because I just didn't care. Because I thought if I was hungry, I'd get out, I don't know, a packet of crisps and eat. So (laughs) if my baby's hungry, I'm not going to not feed them. And the alternative as well of not feeding a baby in public is that they scream. So I always think, well, would people rather my baby be sat here screaming or would they rather me be sat here feeding them? I'm sure most people would rather you be sat there feeding them. But yeah, try and get out and about, take your baby with you. And like I said, it's free. You don't have to pack bottles or anything like that. So it is easier. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's a little timeline. So some further resources I would recommend is the Breastfeeding Network. So look on their website. It's really, really helpful. They've got so much good stuff on there. They've got things about breastfeeding and mental health, breastfeeding in public, breastfeeding with a disability. Um, They've got a really great bit called the Drugs Fact Sheet, which is about all different medication and if you can take it while breastfeeding and if it's safe. So even for things like if you have allergies and you need to take like hay fever tablets or anything like that, look on the Drugs Fact Sheet on the Breastfeeding Network and check if any medication that you take is compatible with breastfeeding and if not what alternatives they are 
There's also loads of great support on Instagram. So I'll put some of my fave Instagram accounts in the resources list and some really good books. So some books that I really recommend reading is The Positive Breastfeeding Book by Amy Brown and Why Breastfeeding Matters by Charlotte Young and The Mindful Breastfeeding Book by Anna LaGrange. And they're all really great books to read while you're pregnant to prepare yourself. And yeah, that was it. That was kind of everything I wanted to say about breastfeeding. So I really hope that that was helpful. So thank you for listening. I hope that that was helpful and I hope that you feel really excited to meet your baby and to feed them. Breastfeeding is absolutely glorious. It's so wonderful and beautiful and it's an incredible bonding experience. And I really, really hope that if you want to, you feel supported enough to feed and meet your feeding goals. If you have any more questions, come hang out on Instagram where I'm at the Dungaree Doula and do let me know if you enjoyed the episode. Remember to check the show notes for some handy little resources. And again, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do stick around, like, follow and subscribe. Or if you have the time, then please do leave a little review because it's so helpful for getting our podcast out there in front of more people. Speak soon. See you next week. Bye.